Hi, this is Carl Polachek. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast, and I'm joined today by my wandering companion, Mr. Josh Liberman. So Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you got wherever you are? Well, I'm a recently 58-year-old member of the IT community. I've been in the field for about 28 of those 58 years. My background was anything but computing. Uh, it was uh, science, astronomy, physics, and philosophy and languages. And somehow I ended up in the IT field. I was previously, for the most part, a rock climber, uh, martial artist, and just a general bon vivant or no good guy out there having a great life. And then I stumbled into IT, <laughs> where I've been for the last 28 years. I mean, okay. And so you, uh, your company's Net Sciences, and you just moved into a new office last year, which is very cool. So uh, tell us about Net Sciences and, and what you specialize in. Okay. Well, Net Sciences was the um, incorporation of a business that preceded it called PC Services. It started in 1990, incorporated in 96, and Net Sciences focuses primarily on SMB level system integration, security, and management. Now, we have transitioned our model to an MSP model over the last eight to 10 years, as so many have, and we have about a third of our business in project, a third of our business in MRR. Uh, type billings and about a third of our business in sale of goods. We still build desktops and servers, rope it all together and manage it. Very cool. So we basically started talking about doing a podcast because uh, you have kind of an, um, a focus with your clients on security and you're the huge sonic wall reseller, right? In um, New Mexico. I'm mid-sized. I'm about <laughs> 170. Uh, but yeah, we are big Sonical partner. I think the best word would be long-term. We were the first partner in New Mexico and one of the first. I think we started January of 2000 with Sonicwall. And our focus is absolutely on security because if it wasn't, we wouldn't have anything. Anybody in this business, your focus is security whether you recognize it or not. If you do recognize it, you might be able to monetize it. Somebody asked me a question actually last week of, uh, is security a vertical, right? Like you have dental and medical and, and so forth. Uh, is is security a vertical? Or is it just something that you just build into everything you do? Well, it's more of a horizontal for us simply because we have, there, there isn't anything we don't do that isn't secure. We don't even work on a PC that goes into somebody's home without making sure it's secured to the greatest extent it can be. So I guess in that sense, it is, since it's not, but if you really want to turn this into a lucrative career, then by focusing on that security vertical, you can actually use your expertise or provide your expertise to others who do more complete packages. We are kind of making that transition from MSP to MSSP over time. But the bottom line is everybody needs to secure everything or you right. just don't have it. Well, you know, there, there was a time when basically what you needed to know in this business was uh, NetBuoy, IPX, TCP, and a little bit of routing, and, uh, and your life was good. Um, but now it's, <laughs> it's becoming far more complicated. And certainly, like, we actually don't need to know routing protocols nearly as much as we did 20 years ago. Oh, uh, certainly IPX and NetBuoy, that's true of <laughs> 
much greater and in-depth relationship with TCP IP than we used to. But yeah, NetBuoy is fortunately gone. IPX is on. But even, but even like I no longer like. There were times when I would say I need these packets to go to that server in New Mexico. I, I literally never do that anymore. Right. So we, like, I, yeah. Yeah, I let the internet around. take care of that piece of my business. <laughs> Yeah, we don't write many routing statements very often. And, and as a matter of fact, it's hard to even remember the, the switches for the tools nowadays at the command line. We're lucky a lot of that's been abstracted away. Right. But then well, and the, the higher-end routers have these great, um, what are they called, widgets. The, they, they, you run a script, and, and it opens up a port, and it secures one server and all that happy stuff. And yeah, they call them wizards. We, we wizards. call them lizards out here in New Mexico, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and we rely somewhat on that. But honestly, even without the wizards or the lizards, you have a lot of graphical interaction with your devices, which really makes things dramatically better. And with object-oriented design of most of the firewall or security appliances, life is a lot simpler. And with the clients that you have, uh, I, I don't know what the total is, but you've deployed many, many firewalls. Are they almost all the same configuration? That basically there's kind of a, uh, you know, there's a WAN and a LAN, and maybe there's one uh, other network for visitors? Well, I, I think that we've probably deployed through a few hundred in total. Um, still manage maybe 50, 60, 80 of those. They probably all go out the door with... 40 to 60% similar config, but there's plenty of variance by site, depending on the VLANing of the site and what's getting moved, depending on whether there's VOIP traffic, whether they're managing wireless firewalls, how much time and effort the site will allow us to put into to hardening those firewalls and tightening them down, remote access, there's, there's a lot of variance. Right. We do have a 30 minute basic setup that everything goes through, but for the most part, that doesn't get you halfway through. Then right. Well, you and I have had the discussion personally about how you've got this segment of people who just, they either refuse to use firewalls or they've been told that they don't need to by incompetent technicians. And then you've got people over here who have seriously high-end firewalls. So they're doing intrusion detection and, you know, they're, they're not using a hundred or even a $300 firewall. They're using a $3,000 firewall. And then you got people in the middle. Um, you clearly are making money on these people. Um, how should should the average MSP look to make money? I mean, clearly there's no money over here, right? But you know, should they be focused on the at the kind of the run of the mill basic people in the middle, or should they be focused on the high end in order to kind of maximize their revenue from security? So you can move people from that mid range towards the high end better than you used to be able to. We, we sell the firewall as the Swiss Army knife of security. I tell people that 80% of what you'll get done in terms of security, short of training your users, will be handled by that firewall, especially if it's managing wireless access and remote access as well. And you can put in nowadays, if you have a 100 main circuit, you can put in a $1,500 firewall that will be tightenable, tighten, hardenable to the point where it really does a fabulous job. And over time, you can migrate people in that mid-range to the high end. Most of them migrate themselves. So there's a new service in New Mexico, and I think in a lot of the country called GPON, or um, Gigabit Provisioned Optical Network, but what it comes down to is shared fiber. With the numbers are quite amazing. We can get a 500 meg synchronous service in Albuquerque for $300 to 
Wow. That's wonderful. We, Gigabit is 500 now, amazingly enough. This has happened in the last two months at our open house. Somebody came in and told me about it, and I've been working with them since. Now, that replaces people with 100 over 20, 150 over 20, 50 over 10 in the Comcast world, which, of course, replaced 3 or 4 meg of DSL, which replaced ISDN. In every case, there's an order of magnitude or half an order of magnitude leap. What's happening now is customers are upselling themselves. If they want to go from a 100 over 10 or 20 circuit or a 50 over 10 circuit to a 500 meg synchronous circuit, they have changed the games in terms of the level of firewall they need to deploy. And because we keep tightening these down, doing things like DPI, SSL, and capture that we'll talk about, we already upped the ante in terms of how much horsepower the firewall has to have. You multiply the circuit speeds by five or 10, and you've upped the ante again. Yeah. So playing in the mid-range can get you in the big leagues, whether they want you to or not. It just It's migrating that way. Right. It's funny that... I always, you know, talk about that you don't want the firewall to be the choke point, right? In my roadshow, I talked about there's so many people where if they're, you know, they've been using, you know, whatever, gigabit, that's great. But, you know, now you have stuff where if your internal card is 100 meg, it may be the slowest thing on your network, right? Because you've got gigabit on the server, gigabit on the desktop, right? Uh, and even if you've only got cat five, you've got, you've probably got 300 megs in the wall. Right, but you're slowing things down if you have an old firewall. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize. So you mentioned the one to three hundred dollar firewall. In my opinion, there's no such thing. A firewall has to do packet inspection, and a firewall has to be capable nowadays, at least with an add-on of doing inspection of SSL encrypted traffic. You've just talked your way out of the sub eight hundred dollar range, and an eight hundred dollar firewall that does that is going to be limited to ten or twenty mega throughput. To support even 100 mega throughput, now you're in the 12 to $1,600 range. That's where you're in a firewall. And I've run into, of course, lots of resistance. Two-thirds of the sites we visit don't have a firewall. But those that do usually understand the need and usually understand that they have to match it to their circuit. It's a really funny question. It's fun to ask people. You walk in a new site. My first question, once we get acquainted, is, so what kind of internet access do you have and what, what do you use for a firewall? Do you have a firewall? Everybody says yes, because everybody knows they should. Right. Two thirds of them don't, because they think a firewall is happening inside their server, or they think right. Comcast modem is a firewall. Right, they think the modem, oh, that's got a firewall built into it. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> a firewall. And, and unfortunately, there is no legal, legal definition of a firewall. And, the bottom line is that they don't generally get how powerful it needs to be and what it does for them. And as the bottleneck migrates away from your perimeter, because a 50 over 10 circuit, obviously that's the bottleneck if it's feeding a, a gigabit network. But as you start to see gigabit on the fringe or on the edge, we now have a gigabit site. For $500 a month, they've got a gig up and down. They need to pay a lot more attention to where the bottlenecks truly are or maybe they don't. How many people <laughs> need a gig? If everything is posted, maybe. Do, do all of the firewalls now have gigabit external ports? I mean, is that a common? Oh, sure. Yeah, gigabit, not just gig. I mean, you, by the time you get above five or six grand, you're getting one or two or more 10 gig ports. So you actually do have 10 gig on the firewalls now. I'm not arguing that you need it, but it's there. 
but I don't think we even have a $1,000 firewall in the last five years that didn't have gigabit. Any of them are gig all around because they'll have about six or eight ports in total. Right. That's well, it used to be that we'd have to install a fiber card in order to <laughs> get that. Yeah. Installing cards, with the exception of maybe a cellular modem dongle, that's, that's mostly in the SMB space. That's mostly a thing of the past. Now, a gigabit interface doesn't mean the thing can process traffic. Right. Gigabit, I mean, I have a speedometer that goes to 180, and I can only do 151. But you know what I mean. <laughs> that's an excellent point. So how do you... Um, how do you talk to clients? Like what terms do you use so they get like, this thing has a processor, it has to work really hard. There's a lot of math involved in, uh, you know, opening up secure packets and doing deep packet inspection. You know, I mean, do you well, use those terms or do you just say, look, you gotta have it? I'm, I'm a big fan of both analogies and visual aids. And I used to walk around with a soda straw, a cocktail straw and an eight inch section of pipe, like a plastic PVC pipe, because you could show people the difference between DSL, 10 meg Comcast circuit, and their gigabit network by holding those straws up within each other and showing them that inside a pipe. Roughly, that was the correct ratio. And you could say, this, this pipe right here, that's your network. That big straw, that's for soda. Oh, and it's your Comcast circuit, and the little tiny guy in the middle, that's for your slow gen fizz. Uh, Caprinia, and that represents DSL. As we started moving to faster speeds and I lost my piece of large sewer pipe, I decided we would talk <laughs> in terms of um, verbal analogies. And I explained to people that in the old days when we did stateful packet inspection, that was like getting stopped on the way into the bar and having a bouncer say, are you 21? And you said, yes. Well, you're in the door. That's <laughs> Nowadays, they pick, they ask you to show some ID, which is typically, even if they don't access it, biometrically enabled in some way, but they can at least get a picture. And even see if it. you're 50 something, yeah, they still want to see your ID. <laughs> that happens here too. Heidi, my wife really enjoys when that happens, uh, not so much. So, but that's, at least they're looking at an ID. That's the packet inspection. And then if, if you really want to know what it takes to do the job right, if you're going to actually do PISSL and other things, more advanced filtering. That's like them grabbing that license and running it through a machine that will actually verify that it's a valid license and check it against an online database of known fraud and whatever. And, and there are sites that do that, absolutely. And that's when you're really scanning. And I tell people, if you've got 10 people online and you're doing stateful packet inspection and you're just asking them how old they are, they move through real quick. But if you get 10 people whose licenses are gonna be scanned and checked against the national database, you're gonna move slow. That's the difference between a right. slow and a fast firewall. You need 10 bouncers and 10 connections to do it well. Yeah, I'm a big, big, big fan of analogies. So it used to be the case that I would set up a firewall and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it for three years, right? And then I would try to get them to replace it, but you know, I would rarely have to go do anything, but man, those days are past. You have to update a firewall almost as often as you update a computer. Well, there's two kinds of updates. I mean, first of all, there's in the background happening automatically scanning, I'm sorry, signature file updates, because most firewalls in the SMB space, all firewalls, use signature sets just like AV and anti-malware generally uses. Right. So signature sets uh, that do intrusion detection and prevention, so one unified service now, and that do scanning of packets for attacks, that's your anti-malware, 
Those get automated, uh, sorry, automatically updated roughly hourly, depending on your vendor or some other factors. But that's not all that you have to do. You also have to periodically update firmware, which is almost always, but not quite, a manual process. More importantly, you have to talk with and interact with your clientele and figure out what their business, what they're doing, what's new, what's different, and make changes. We deliver our firewalls locked down to allow traffic for only about 14 countries. We get away with that 80% of the time. Then we run into somebody that needs to deal with Romania, Moldova, Bulgaria, whatever, fill in the blank, even Brazil. Uh, and we have to open up those countries to GOI or unblock those from GOIP blocking. You have to interact with them. You have to find out, are they gonna, what are they doing now? Do they have a lot of tablet devices? What do we have to do for wireless traffic? Many times our sites either manage the wireless integrated into the firewall or manage APs by the firewall. SonicWall and many other vendors also have pretty darn good facilities for management of wireless. And you have to integrate them about the remote use and what sort of remote use they're gonna have and try to get them interested in at least one time password or some other two-factor or multi-factor authentication services. And the list goes on. Right. As they evolve and threats evolve, your level of commitment to their security and management of the firewall has to evolve with it. So, so do you sell firewall, I don't know, maintenance packages separate from your other uh, managed service stuff? Is that just like an add-on? Or so at the most basic level of our managed services, what we call Insight, all of the work I described is billable. There is a monthly fee to maintain the firewall that covers firmware updates. But anything beyond that interaction with the customer is billable. At our second tier, the only thing that's billable is something that would require us to be on site, which is physical installation of access points, perhaps. And at our third tier, nothing is billable. Right. But we don't have a managed firewall service only separate product. It's something that I'm pursuing to see if we can find a package to deliver that. It looks likely, but it's not something in our portfolio yet. Right. So um, as things sort of evolve, one of the things that's happened is like a couple of years ago, I came across a client who just, they needed, I don't know if you remember this, they needed this stupid piece of equipment that I didn't think they needed, but they, they wanted this toy to be attached to the internet and we had trouble getting it done. And so I hired you guys and one of your techs, you know, basically remoted it and, and helped me figure out how to get this thing doing what it needed to do. And I was very grateful for that. Uh, is that a kind of service that you offer in general or is it just something that's evolved as needed uh, within your company? Uh, we do offer that. We are, it's kind of a tech to tech thing that we do. Not everybody specializes in security and a lot of people that do don't specialize in SonicWall. So for MSPs or others that find themselves on a site where they're not SonicWall people, but that's what they've got to manage, our services available, available to them. Everybody, virtually, everybody does virtually all their firewall work remotely. You can securely enable HTTPS management on the WAN port of these firewalls, so we don't need any internal connectivity. We hit and manage it through the graphical interface through the um, HTTPS connection on the WAN port. So sure, we can, we have, one thing that I'd like to get more people interested in, we've just started to roll together, are these enhanced or hardening packages that we offer. We'll go through and do the 10 steps that we do on our own sites, 
those that allow us, and right. harden that firewall and lock it down as securely as we can without causing a lot of overhead and grief. And right. of course, part of our process is to show the people we're involved with how to manage that once it's done. Right, and clearly you document everything and yes, we do. give them that. So um, it is interesting because we kind of, I don't know, I, I think we have this bias that a firewall as a security device should be secure by default, take it out of the box, plug it in, <laughs> but that is absolutely not the case. I mean, it is secure, it's just not secure enough. It's not secured with a D. It's, yeah, it's got some potential there. You know, so many people think that plug and play or out of the box security is in place. Years ago, one of the um, TV stations took me on a drive around to do some war driving, some hacking of APs, or just generally to grab wireless traffic. And we sat in a cafe, we sat uh, in a small restaurant, and we just looked. I mean, a lot of people didn't even protect the default share in their notebook. So they had their star, their, um, sorry, their dollar sign shares unprotected with a password because every major manufacturer sends their notebooks out back then without a password on that share. And we could browse over and just look at what we wanted to. Later, we sat parked in front of somebody's house, and this was odd. They had me um, connect and get on the internet, but we also, I, I pointed out to them that most people don't change default username, password, or IP on these devices. So we logged in with all the defaults to manage this guy's access point, and they said, well, what could you do here? And I said, what do you want? Uh, and we could we can make sure they can't get in, but they would notice that. And we talked about all the things we could do that they wouldn't notice. He showed up. He pulled them into the driveway at about 4 o'clock while we were doing this, and I, and I told the guys uh, with the TV station, you go tell them what we're doing. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> he did, and here's the horrible irony. Without being specific, he was in a high-level position related to security, related to um, a branch of the government. And his comment, which didn't get on camera, although they filmed him, was, well, I thought these came in secure by default. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, you, I, I noticed one thing, you use the word router a lot. Though firewalls route, even though firewall vendors sometimes... A, a, a firewall is just a router that's dedicated to do a specific set of chores. It's, it's got a, a specific set of processes, but you won't find, if they're smart, many SMBs that have routers and firewalls, they have a firewall that routes, for the most part. There are exceptions, but for the most part, they have a single device that does all of that, and that's the firewall. Well, that's, so that's interesting. That's not been my experience. What I have had is the, there's a router from the ISP, and then I put in a firewall. Well, there is a premise device, but by the time you connect the firewall, you've changed that premise device's capacity or function from... To a bridge. A bridge or to just passing traffic um, completely through to you. So you're right. You do show up. There is a router, which nobody calls. Nope. Comcast doesn't call it a router. CenturyLink doesn't call it a router. It's a modem or a gateway or whatever. The reality is but, it was routing. Got the reality is it's not a modem because it doesn't modulate or demodulate. It's a router. Well, it does both, actually. <laughs> so DSL devices do exactly. They actually are modems as well as routers. Right. I, I don't believe technically that you demodulate a cable circuit, but I'm not sure. Uh, but they are routing when you get there. They're not when you leave. If you did your job right, most of the time. All right. So the other thing that you sort of alluded to is all of these open networks. Um, you know, one of the things that people are trying to figure out is how do I secure my IoT, right? There's, because there's so many things where 
you know, I mean, for me personally, I literally put everything inside my house that's on an, it, that's an internet of things device, including the TV is on a separate network. I, I have a, a, you know, I basically put in a repeater with a different network and a different password and those devices use that. And um, it, it may not necessarily secure anything except it keeps it away from the stuff that I care about. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So segment it, like you're saying, um, or at the very least, keep it all outside of DMZ, which is another way of segmenting it. And yeah, then you're at least protecting yourself. You're not protecting the world from a, right. uh, you know, from a compromised IoT. Right, device. absolutely. But that is the first step. Uh, we often set up people, even in their homes, we mostly deal with home users that are business owners in our portfolio, will frequently set up two wireless networks or more in their home and their business so that one network can get access to internal facing devices or the other network or SSID or VLAN will be facing outward only and that's what they use for guest access or even most of their own users. Uh, and in more sophisticated places we actually set up a wireless management VLAN so that we can come in and do things wirelessly or they can if they know how to. But in the home, yeah, segmented at the very least Get everything that you can't control and manage and patch and update, which is virtually all IoT devices, outside the DMZ and keep right. everything else inside. So yeah, let them let them nuke each other. There was just a story I, I heard on NPR about um, uh, some people spending a month with every internet connected device they could possibly imagine, and then routing it all through one device so they could track all the traffic and see how often Alexa calls home, which is about every three minutes, right? Whether it's on or off, in use, not, not in use, you know? And uh, it's, you know, we're entering this era where there's just this massive amount of, of big data, you know, that they'll literally be able to look at the traffic on your, your system and say, oh, it looks like he's waking up, you know, his internet connected toothbrush is working and, uh, you know, whatever else. <laughs> Metadata rules. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, Heidi won't leave the Alexa plugged in at all. <laughs> Every single time I see that thing, it's unplugged. I'm surprised she's not hanging it out the window already. Yeah. I uh, don't own one. I The only thing I have is this. There, I have the uh, Google. There's some TV device. No, Amazon TV device that I have to push a button and hold it down until a light comes on before it will listen to me. So. Yeah. As far as you know. As far uh, as I know. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's really quite amazing how much data gets collected and how this all works. The, um, I'm not a big fan of IoT. I know you know this already. I really think of it more as an itty IoT. But uh, I think that we've come, we're, we're making our leaps into the IoT world uh, in terms of capabilities, services, and basically ginning up new ideas of how about to make sure that my you know dishwasher can order butter. I don't see the value in that, at least I don't see it overwhelming the security issues that have grown up around it. And, and certainly the biggest of those issues is that so many IoT devices are designed so that not only are they not updated as flaws are discovered, but they cannot be updated. They're not flashable, they're not anything. They're right. monolithic forever and not many people will replace their refrigerators because of a known DDoS flaw in the front. <laughs> exactly that's so, uh, 
that that's the another thing that I I wanted to ask you about, and we're almost out of time. But do you do uh, do you put in like the Cisco umbrella or something like that to uh, to take DNS basically out of house? Yeah. So not no, not in homes, but yes. Let me <laughs> let me give you the super quick tour of what our basic security package does. So everybody gets patching automated for all kinds of products, and Microsoft and third party and reports if they request them. We get them, a few sites get them. We also have malware client or anti-malware clients for uh, all the endpoints. Uh, we also provide, as you alluded to, DNS filtering. We used to use OpenDNS after the Cisco acquisition, we, we migrated, but we use DNS filtering as well. Everybody runs all their traffic through the firewall, and that firewall, besides doing all of its scanning, also does content filtering, which is kind of the step sister of DNS filtering. So there's all those layers right there. And on top of all of that, we also include email filtering through Mail Protector, which we find to be an outstanding service in all of our packages, whether there's premise or hosted mail, doesn't matter where it's hosted. And finally, to close the entire circle, the whole loop, we provide you know, integrated user training and testing, kind of phishing hardening through no before. So those six points cover all the bases in security, assuming you have a truly comprehensive data backup solution and a comprehensive firewall and wireless management solution, which you also have if you work with us. Right. So, so uh, you're going to tell me whether you want email or, or a, a web form or whatever. We're going to put a link down below if people want to get in touch with you about the possibility of having you help them secure their systems or secure their clients or whatever. Um, I, I think you have to stop charging the way you charge because it's not enough, but that's just my opinion, you know. Okay. So, so a lot of people can see you at the, the shows that you speak occasionally at different conferences around. People have seen you as a photographer, obviously, but you also have made presentations. I've even seen you do them in Australia on security. So uh, it's, it's great. And you recently had an article, was it in Channel Pro Magazine? Yeah, we've had a few. Um, I get published frequently, uh, but... The speaking this year will be for Channel Pro at all four of their shows, two of the SMB Tech Fest shows. That's all that I have solidified on so far. So far. Yeah. So, uh, I think that makes it March, July, May, uh, November, and October so far. All right. So folks can look for you in person and uh, check you out in Channel Pro Magazine and also follow the link down below. So the last, the last request I have is, I need you to move just enough so I can see that you've got a map behind you with the pin of all your worldwide locations. I'm glad you remembered that. Yes, <laughs> we have a pin indicating all of our worldwide location. But I'm a big map fan and a big traveler, and that's the real reason the map is there. So and, yeah, so you should give me a picture. I'll, I'll, I'll stick it at the end of this video with your worldwide location. Okay. All righty, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Carl.